Well, good morning, everyone. Really good to see you here, and it is good to be here with you on this beautiful November day and to be able to share God's Word with you. Uh, I am so glad to be able to speak with you as we think of the topic of mission. This is the topic that we have been covering over the past uh, number of weeks here at our church. Actually, November has been a missions-focused month. The first Sunday of the month, as was mentioned, we had Pastor Peter Paul here speaking about the persecuted church. Last week, Richard, Pastor Richard helped us to think about living and sharing the whole gospel. Next week, we're going to think about mission really in two critical ways. First of all, uh, baptizing people. Baptizing people in the, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then secondly, also thinking about mission here at our doorstep. And we're going to be learning more about what our church does on Thursdays here, just as we learn and understand a little bit more about the Open Hands ministry. I'm excited about all of this stuff. And uh, Jean, thank you so much for leading us and guiding us in prayer. I'd just like for us to just pause for just a moment also and just turn our hearts towards God once again, just as we ask for God's wisdom. Lord, may the, the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you. Lord, we think today of those who grieve and who walk through a deep valley of grief. We think of those who are feeling lonely. Lord, we think today of those who who carry burdens. And we pray that we might meet you here as we gather around your word, asking this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're thinking about mission. And uh, we might often jump immediately to Matthew chapter 28, For those of you who know the Gospel of Matthew or you think about Jesus' words, you might think quickly of the great commission that Jesus gives to us. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Make disciples. This great call that we remind each other of often, make disciples, it means that really we're to mentor other people and to disciple them in the way of Jesus. And as we read the very first portion, though, of the Gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus in this action of of teaching and then healing, his mission of word and his mission of work. But as we come to the end of chapter 9, that scripture reading that Victoria read to us, we see that Jesus' mission now is continuing through his disciples, and he sends them out. And today I'd like to think with you about the topic of what motivates us in mission. Why should we as a church be involved in mission? Aren't we just really just to keep to ourselves? No, Jesus says we are sent out and we are called to be in mission. But why do we do this anyway? And with that in mind, I'd like for us to explore uh, verse by verse through the passage of scripture that we just heard this morning. Dale Bruner reflects on this passage of scripture and he speaks of the sources from which the church draws her missionary power. And we get to think about these four things today. Why is the church to be involved in mission? And so we learn these from the scripture reading that we looked at. And these four things are these. 
And first of all, it's the heart of Christ for people. And that's in chapter 9, verse 36. Secondly, it's the prayer of the disciples for workers, verses 37 to 38. The third reason for mission is uh, the gifts of ministry for healing, chapter 10, verse 1. And then fourthly, it's the apostolic fellowship of the church, or what I would like to call the sent fellowship of the church in chapter 10, verses 2 to 4. We're going to get to think about this passage of scripture and really move through those verses together as we think about why are we involved in mission. So first of all, the first reason that we really want to think about is why is Jesus so concerned about mission is we look at the heart of Jesus for people. When we read in verse 36 that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus was moved with compassion when he looked at the masses of people that gathered around him. The word compassion comes from two Latin words. Come means with and passion or passio means suffering. So compassion, actually in the Latin root, it means suffering with people. If you have compassion with someone, you are actually suffering with them. And that's the life of Jesus. Jesus carried the weight of our pain and the burden of our sin. Tim Keller writes, Christ literally walked in our shoes and entered into our afflictions. I want you to know that as we think of the heart of Jesus, is that in your deepest and darkest places, Christ enters into be right with you. The heart of mission doesn't arise out of Jesus' disgust for sinners, looking at people and just saying, oh, what horrible people they are. Mission isn't motivated by our desire to to fix up the world and to clean it up and to make it look a little better. Rather, mission is motivated by compassion. You know, in the book of Exodus, there's a story where Moses starts crying out to God. He says, God, just show me your glory. He's saying to God, will you please show me who you really are? And then in Exodus chapter 34, the Lord passes before him, proclaiming this. Here is how God shows his glory God proclaims the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Exodus 34, 6. By the way, this is the very first place in the Bible where God speaks and speaks and says, here is who I am. Other passages before that were reading descriptions of who God is. But now God enters and says, here is who I am. And God is described as the gracious and compassionate one. By the way, that is the most referenced verse in the Bible. 
It is repeated many times throughout the rest of Scripture. One of those verses, another one of those verses, you know very well. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. And what you find is that other Scripture writers are taking those words from Exodus 34 and inserting it into other parts of the Bible as well. This is the Lord. This is the great I Am. Here is the God who is and who will be. This God is moved by compassion for the suffering people. This word compassion inspires us to think of a mother's tender care for the needs of a vulnerable child. Compassion is at the heart of God's character. The same kind of compassion that Jesus, this is the same kind of compassion that Jesus is calling us to imitate. Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Mission starts by our hearts being changed by the heart of God. Mission starts by going out and compassionately helping people, starting with those who are closest to us and going out to the world around us. You know, there's an old rabbinical story of two brothers. They shared a field and a mill. And each night they divided the grain that they had ground together during the day. One brother lived alone. The other was married and had a large family. One day, the single brother thought to himself, well, it really isn't fair that we divide the grain evenly. I have only myself to care for, but my brother has many children to feed, many people to look after, so each night, secretly, he took some of his grain to his brother's storehouse. But the married brother started thinking about his other brother's situation, and he said to himself, It isn't right that we divide the grain evenly because I have children. I have a large family. They're going to provide for me in my old age, but my brother has no one. I need to look out for him. So what will he do? So every night he secretly took some of his grain and then he put it into his brother's storehouse. And as a result, at the end of each day, Both of the brothers found their supply of grain that was mysteriously replenished each morning. Then one night, they met each other halfway between the two houses, and they suddenly realized what the other was doing, and they embraced each other in love. The legend is that God witnessed their meeting and proclaimed, this is a holy place, a place of love. And it's here that my temple will be built. Well, thinking of psychology, thinking of studies now, studies today, there are psychology studies that show us that lives of compassion and empathy actually help us to live longer. One of those studies explored the relationship of married couples. At the beginning of each visit, with each couple. So this psychologist was studying the relationship of couples. At the beginning of each visit with each couple, the researchers um, 
started to inflict blisters, a small wound on the arms of each participant. Then during the visit, they were instructed to talk with each other about positive things. And what they found was that as they spoke with each other about positive, encouraging things, as they looked at that little blister, it actually healed quicker. But during the second visit, they were instructed then to talk about things that they disagreed about. We want you, the psychologist said, we want you to spend a half an hour just talking about all the things that you disagree about, the things that you're not in harmony and alignment with in each other. Study showed that um, a 30-minute disagreement delayed the process of healing of the wounds by a day or more. Just a little wound. I love what Pastor Richard said. He said this last week, and I wrote it down. If compassion were not free, pharmaceutical companies would package it and herald it as the next great discovery. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? That, that, there, is, that there is power that is given to us in our words and in the way that we interact with each other that we can actually offer Healing words, book of Proverbs, reckless words kill each other. (laughs) Reckless words wound and hurt each other, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Hmm. Jesus had compassion on the crowds because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus looked out and he saw helpless people. He saw people who were just barely scraping by. According to a 2023 Canadian survey, people who live in Mississauga, and yes, also in Brampton, and the GTA are actually lonelier than other parts of Canada. Did you know that? Can we turn that around here in our church? On a Canadian average, here it is, 28% Canadian average, 28% of people report being lonely three days a week or more, struggling with loneliness. And then in Toronto, that study sits at 37%. More than one-third of people living in the GTA report saying, three days a week or more, I just feel lonely in my life. That's why I read um, in 2017 in the UK, they, they appointed in government a minister of loneliness, someone to address the needs of the loneliness of the nation. Loneliness really is a serious health issue. A 2017 study showed that loneliness is as dangerous as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. You know, the kind of people that, that went, that Jesus saw, they were confused. They were aimless. They needed healing. They needed hope in Jesus' words. And Jesus was attracted to these people. He was drawn to them like a magnet. He was, he was drawn towards people that had needs. God is moved at our struggles. And he loves us in our need. 
And he is also the healer. For Jesus, human pain is mission material. He sees your sorrow. He sees your your hunger, your loneliness. God may not plan the pain, but there is no difficulty that Jesus cannot use to woo us to him. Cancer, financial worries, marital struggles, friendships gone bad, loneliness. Jesus was moved by these needs with compassion. And we read, like sheep without a shepherd. That's how he looked at people. People need a good shepherd, don't they? And it feels like our world is disappointed with leaders at so many different levels. What we really need is is good leadership and ultimately a good shepherd. And isn't it wonderful that when we come to Jesus, Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, for us, for you and for me. What motivates us for mission? I hope you start by saying it's the heart of Jesus and his compassion for people. But there's something more here. What motivates us for mission? Secondly, here as you look at verses 37 to 38, it's the prayer of disciples for workers. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out, or to actually, that word there is to thrust out workers, or to cast them out, just to send them out into mission and ministry in many different places. That's the prayer. I go to a lot of meetings. I go to a lot of meetings at our church, and, and, and sometimes when we're talking in leadership meetings or we're trying to make decisions, we talk about the 2080 principle. Have you heard of it? It's, it's this, and, and sometimes we talk about this. 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. You know, Jesus is realistic. Jesus is very realistic in this text. He is saying this. When you look at the spiritual harvest before you, when you look at just all the work to be done when he talked about ministry, when you look at the needs of people, when you see struggling and hurting people in different places, you might just find yourself being overwhelmed and saying, where are the workers? Where are the workers who are going to step up? Have you ever said that? And there might be a temptation for leaders at this point in time to get just a little bit ornery here. But notice in this story, Jesus is launching mission. And earlier in Matthew, he's healing, he's teaching, he's preaching, and now he's mobilizing disciples. And you might think that Jesus would say it like this. You might think Jesus would say, well, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, therefore, get going. And that's not how he says it. He tells us to pray. And he reminds us that the work of mission is God's work. Jesus is lifting the burden of recruitment and is saying, I've got this. This is my mission. And I am inviting you to partner with me in this. Now, you know what? I think it's important for me to recruit. I think that's... 
one of the roles that I've had. Sometimes some of you say, oh, you're tapping me again on the shoulder to ask me to do a certain task or, or to be involved in a certain place or way. Sometimes I think I'm pretty tenacious in acting, asking people to step up for kingdom work whether it's leading a small group or helping in Alpha or the upcoming Light the Night or the Gateway Team or Christian Education or lots of other opportunities. But you know what really excites me? Here's what really, really moves me. When people say this to me, thank you so much for asking me. I, I am excited to be able to serve in this way. And I've been looking for an opportunity I feel that God has gifted me somehow, but I want I want to I want to do my part in God's work. That gets me excited. But the preface to all of the asking is prayer. Lord, would you please prepare people's hearts for service? Would you please do this because this is your job? You've heard this before, but we need to hear it again. Where there is prayer, there is mission. And where there is no prayer, then mission has ceased. One of the things that Jesus specifically tells us is to pray for workers. A few months ago, we had a guest speaker in our church, and he commented really with, with deep appreciation how we in our worship services have this moment of focused prayer for the needs of our church, the needs of the community, and the prayer for the workers in our church. He said, not every church does this. So when Jesus calls us to pray for workers, he reminds us that mission is the mission of God. This is God's work. Mission is not just merely something we do. It's something that God does. And this mission of God is the whole gospel where we are called to the full restoration of the world in every area of life. The Father sent the Son on a mission. But God sending his Son isn't the only part of the story. God sent Moses to Pharaoh to bring his people out of Egypt. God sent Jeremiah to the people of Israel. God sent Isaiah to do his work. And these individuals, they were all reluctant to be sent. Moses said, I can't speak very well. Jeremiah said, I'm way too young. Isaiah said, I'm too sinful. And in the Gospel of John, just after the resurrection, Jesus meets his disciples and he declares, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Does it make a difference to you to know that Jesus himself is sending you on a mission. We can be tempted to give excuses too. Surely there can be someone who's do, who can do this better than me. I don't have enough education to be on this mission. But you are sent. If you call yourself a follower, then you are a sent one. You are sent out. In our churches, we pray for missionaries around the world. But we too are sent on a mission where do we find this mission field? Where do we find it? You probably don't have to go anywhere, but just to ask God to guide you where your mission field is. Look around the world. 
Look around at your community, your neighborhood. See the mission that God is guiding you into. You never know whose world you will intersect with when you simply pray that prayer of saying, Lord, send me, I'm ready, and I'm ready to serve you wherever you send me. That is a powerful prayer. And notice this, that in that verse, verses 37 to 38, Jesus says, does not tell us, Jesus does not tell us to pray for experts, amazing teachers, strong leaders, um, specialists, fully equipped people. Simply, we are to pray for workers. That's it. This is encouraging. Each one of us gets to be a part of it. That means that each one is called up to be a worker in the mission of God. Third source of mission. This next one is found in verse 1. It's the gifts of ministry for healing. Chapter 10, verse 1. Matthew 10, 1. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and illness. So notice this. He called the 12 disciples to him. As much as these disciples were given this big job to do, they were given powerful authority they were still just called disciples. The word disciple means learner or apprentice. And it's an important message for those of us who are leaders. For those of us who act as leaders, we are still learners in this school of apprenticeship. As much as we are leaders, we are always followers. And the next phrase in verse 1 is, he gave them. He gave them authority, but he gave them. Matthew touches on this idea that Jesus gave them gifts. Jesus gave them power or authority. Other passages of scripture develop this more, that gifts are given to us by God. Peter writes, um, 1 Peter 4, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. You see, now, if you sign up and you say, yes, I'm a follower, then now know that you are gifted. You are gifted in this work that you are doing. Here, the disciples are given authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease. They were given authority to, to conquer the devil and to cure the world. And at the end of Matthew, when Jesus gives the Great Commission, he calls all of his disciples, all of his followers, to disciple people, to baptize and to teach. It seems as if these actions of discipling, baptizing, and teaching are actually the things that bring the healing. And yet Jesus and the disciples healed people. The Apostle Paul tells us that some are given the gift of healing. 
And we too can pray for the healing of other people. I know what it's like to gather around a bedside or to meet with a friend or sometimes to pray in the prayer corner at the back and to simply pray and to ask God for healing. You see, we do the asking. He does the answering in his perfect way. God cares about our bodies and our souls. God cares about our whole person. God cares about our emotions and our spirit. Sometimes people need physical healing. Other times it's very real that people need emotional healing or relational healing. Really, we are sent to wherever there is poverty, loneliness and suffering, and to have the courage to be with people. We have all been given a gift, and on direct authority from Jesus, we are called to care, to help, and to pray for healing. Who of us today does not need some kind of healing touch in our lives? No one. Some kind of healing touch? Some kind of presence from the compassionate Christ? And so Christ gives you and me just the gifts that we need. He gave them just the gifts that we need so that we might be his presence in a hurting world. And so now we come to the fourth source of mission. Why do we do mission? The fourth source of mission, look at it in verses 2 to 4. It doesn't seem like spectacular verses. Here is the apostolic fellowship of the church. And verses 2 to 4, these are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector. Note that little phrase, and Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew wrote this gospel, and he writes it in to say, I was the bad guy. You know, he just, he puts it right in there. And, and James, and actually, if you notice the list of the disciples, Matthew puts his name later than all the other gospel writers do when they list the disciples. Matthew's listed earlier. He lists his a little later in the list. James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Note how Matthew, Matthew is, is, is very unique here, that he lists the names by twos. Right? Simon, Peter, and Andrew, James, and John, that, that he has the ands. Dale Bruner, as he is observing that those verses in Matthew, he says, Tunis protects the church from personality cults and serves constantly to remind us that we need each other. By the way, that word apostle means one who is sent. When he sent them, the apostles, he always sent them out in twos. It it fascinates me. Even when Jesus needed a donkey, he sent 
two disciples. Like, come on, couldn't you just send one person to do that? And he sends them out in twos. You know, it's, it's undesirable to be a Christian all by yourself, as it is to be an unborn baby all by yourself. One teacher says, the church is a community of people on a journey to God. And it is through the community that the church gains traction. Don't we just need each other? Don't we just need each other as we're sent out? So whenever we're sent out, we're sent out, Jesus said, in groups. It's got to be in teams. Jesus gathered his disciples. And it's fascinating. Jesus gathered his disciples so that they might be with him. You know, it's not that Jesus, you know, had one appointment, one one-hour appointment with Peter, and one one-hour appointment with Andrew, and one one-hour appointment with Thaddeus. He gathered them together so that they might be with him. But in Luke 17, Jesus says something interesting. He said, he, Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. You know what I think I'd say is it's a lot easier for us to stumble when we're not connected. It's a lot easier for us to stumble where we say, I, I, we don't need each other. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this by myself. And I think it's easy for people to start coming maybe to church and then to stumble out of the church. We know that. That happens, doesn't it? But I believe it is a lot harder for a person to stumble out of a connected relationship. If we have others to make the journey with, they can help us when we stumble. You know, we're often led to think that if we're competent, then we should be able to do the job all by ourselves. You know, I think this is a constant lesson for me to learn. Not one that I just learned instantly at one point in time. There are times when I feel like I shouldn't have to ask others for help. But that's not Jesus. You know, we love being here on Sunday mornings. Some of you actually just recently told me, it was a powerful little conversation, but, but a few of you just recently told me, I can't wait to come here on Sunday morning. It was even that, that sense of excitement of, of Saturday night, of, of just looking forward to what's going to happen here and, and what we're going to experience as we gather together today. But we're so anchored to the truth that, that as we gather together, we realize that we are a church with an outpost mission that is taking place right here. Often people, groups of people, sent out in smaller groups. Last Wednesday night, one of our groups gathered together to pray online, just to pray for the needs of the church, to say, Lord, we need your presence here with us. Thursday night, another group met here in this room as it was transformed into a distribution center as as we wanted to just simply care for the needs around us and to love our community. People came and gathered and as a group and were sent out in mission together. 
or on Saturday morning, just yesterday morning, there was another team that, that gathered here in the church. Um, it was the Alpha Retreat weekend, gathering together and just praying for, for the needs of our community together with each other. Or there was the men's ministry group that met here very early yesterday morning and then went off as a team of people just in order to grow together in faith and to learn with each other and to hear some inspiring teaching. Gathered together to be sent out. That story goes on and on. And when you think of the list of this disciples, I want you to notice one more thing. Outside of Peter and maybe James and John, we really don't know a lot of details about the disciples' lives. Like, who of us is going to get up and preach a story and preach about how amazing Thaddeus was? You know, it's just, it's just not recorded in Scripture. It's, it's silent. And just like there are a lot of good and effective Christian leaders who are not famous and celebrated, but they're seen by God, seen powerfully, powerfully by God, who are steadily using their gifts for ministry. I hope you are inspired today to say, I am really sent out in mission. So what's the, why do we think about this? We talked about four things. First of all, it's the heart of Jesus. It's the heart of Jesus for people who are in need. And then, it's the prayer of Jesus' disciples to ask God to raise up more workers. And then, it's the gifts that each person has for the healing of the world. Each person needs to uniquely offer their gift. And then it's the, the apostolic fellowship, the awareness that God sends us in community to bring the whole gospel to the whole world around us. Well, will you join together with me in prayer? Let's pray together. Lord, as we hear your story and your call to mission, we are really inspired. We thank you, O Lord, for your compassionate heart for people. Lord, when we don't feel compassionate, would you please forgive us? And would you please raise our compassion level and shape us into the image of, of Jesus? Lord, we pray. Once again, we pray we pray this prayer that you taught us. Would you please raise up workers? Because, Lord, we know that need. We know that need here in our church. We know that need across the world. Just simply, would you raise up workers? You've got to do this. We can't do this, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the gifts that you give us for the healing of the world. Help us to use our gifts, the gifts that you have uniquely bestowed on us so that we might be your servants to do that work. And Lord, we thank you for this apostolic fellowship. Lord, remind us that we cannot walk just by ourselves, but that we are sent out together, that we gather together and that we're sent out together to do this work that you uniquely call us for. In Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen.